If you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Judges. Judges is way to the left side of your Bible, uh, and uh, a, a historical book uh, about the Jewish people is what this is. Uh, from before there were kings in Israel, they were ruled by judges, and this tells the story of some of those. Uh, listen to me right now. As, as I was praying for this today, like I can't express to you the, the overwhelming heaviness that I felt uh, in, in putting this together, and even praying before the service today, I was just absolutely overwhelmed uh, with this feeling of, I guess what I call it, is just heaviness, and, and I feel it's directly related to what we're going to be looking at in the Bible today. See, understand this, the Bible speaks in a number of different ways. Uh, let me explain. There are times in the Bible where it brings this beautiful encouragement and hope, uh, and it's like hope for your situations and hope and encouragement for this and whatever. There's also times where the Bible, like, uh, speaks into our situations and gives us instructions of how to live and, and what to do and where to go at different times and how to do all that type of stuff. There are other times, though, where the Bible very clearly just kind of gives warnings. And today is really one of those. And uh, it's heavy. It's not very fun. It's not filled with jokes and laughter like we oftentimes do, um, it's heavy. And so I wanna ask you to prepare yourself for that in a way and, uh, and to be open to hearing from God really about an, an issue that is destroying us uh, as Christians and destroying our culture. We like to point to uh, the government and Washington and whatever else as the, for the decline of America. This right here is up there as one of the main reasons why uh, we are seeing what we are seeing in different ways. And so today we're beginning a brand new message series that's gonna be a significant part of our fall. And the series is just simply titled Stuck, Stuck. And I wanna set this up in this way. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. That that's his desire for you, that you would live in this freedom of what he has done. Uh, that's the way of Jesus, free from your past, free from your anxiety and worry, free from sin, free to really be on mission and to fulfill this purpose and to hear from God and to live this beautiful life giving life of faith. But the reality is, and the truth of the situation is, many of us aren't very free. We, we, we aren't. We're actually quite stuck. Stuck in all of sorts of junk. Stuck in all sorts of destructive thinkings and issues and behaviors. And we live our lives stuck. Stuck in things that are holding us back. Holding us and keeping us from being all that God would have us be. And, and so over the next number of weeks, next number of months even, we're going to be really taking a biblical journey through some of the most difficult topics in our culture. We're going to talk about anxiety and depression. Um, we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about bitterness and hurt from the past and regret. We're going to talk about sin in different ways and our inability to get past some of that and really define freedom in some of those types of things. And that brings us to today, which may in fact be the most difficult of all of the weeks because today we're going to talk about, we're just like directly going to talk about the issue of sexual sin. 
sexual sin. We want to be a church that is going to talk about difficult things, right? Like some of you are like, no. Uh, and t- today is going to be one of those weeks. So if this is your first time here today and, and you, like, you're thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Um, ushers, I'd like to, to ask you to please lock the doors quick. No, I'm just kidding. That's funny, and that's going to be pretty much the last funny we hear today. Uh, so I did that on purpose. The bad news is this. Sexual sin is destroying our culture, like utterly destroying, destroying us. The good news is the Bible speaks directly to this issue over and over and over again. And I originally had all sorts of scripture to show what the Bible says about this topic and how destructive it was, and we were going to go through like about 40 of them, shotgun kind of style like this. Uh, but I decided to go a different direction Because not only does the Bible speak directly to this issue by saying things like run from sexual sin and, you know, someone who commits adultery is an utter fool because it destroys their life, the book of Proverbs. Not only does it say things like this all over the place, but we also see story after story in the Bible of how sexual sin actually impacted specific people in very specific situations. And so let's get into this. And we've got us, we have to start by praying together about this. So will you please stand with me all over this place and we're just gonna, we're just gonna pray uh, and and I wanna just ask you to pray with me and just to kind of go into this with an open heart and an open mind uh, today. So here we go. God, we we just kind of take a deep breath and God, we ask for you to be just so in everything that we do and say Uh, over the next few minutes, God, that your very word would be what comes out. God, we're not after just my ideas and and creativity and all of that. God, we want you to be uh, who speaks. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and that you would use me and that this would be something so significant and so life-changing for someone here or many of us here today who are stuck in this. And so, God, we just give this to you And it's in your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. All right, I wanna start with a statement uh, that's gonna set us up for this right here, okay? I got your attention now though, don't I? Like I can feel it. You can feel the tension in the room, can't you? And, uh, And so here we go with this. Here's the statement we're gonna start with. Write this down if you're taking notes. Change always involves a crisis and a process. Change always involves a crisis and a process. When does a person actually change? Well, it starts with a crisis. And, and this could be uh, a, a handful of different things. It can be a very real physical crisis in a, in a life, like, like a diagnosis from a doctor. If you do not change, then this will happen. And you're like, oh, I've got to change. And we think, I've got to do that. Or, or something or, or, or something absolutely falls apart in your marriage or your family and you get to the point where you're like, if I want my marriage to survive, I need to change. That's a crisis. But a crisis can also just be a moment that happens in your mind, a conclusion that you come to where you get to the point that you know that things cannot stay the same. Where something has Like you have this moment where you decide that change needs to happen. And change always starts like that, by the way, uh, in our lives. Just setting a a goal because you know that you need to change at the beginning is not enough. There has to be this crisis that that has to occur, okay? Um, But if that's as far as it gets, by the way, is just this crisis 
then it really never fixes anything either because change never really truly occurs until proper steps are taken. Uh, that's called a process. It's where a strategic plan is put into action to achieve the desired results. Let me give you an example. My weight and my health are out of control. A crisis occurs. I must change. I must get healthy. Now the process, I'm going to hire a personal trainer, put a plan together, implement whatever. The food I eat, the physical activity, and all of those things are the process. You understand there has to be this moment of crisis and this process, and that's what change. See, change is almost never easy. And and if you think it's easy, like you're doing it wrong, because it's not easy. Change is not easy, Uh, but sometimes the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. And at that point, like. We understand and we realize this has to happen, okay? It takes two things, a crisis and a process. My goal for today is very simple in that I want to create a crisis in some of us. I want to create a crisis, specifically with this topic of sexual sin. Uh, Though some of us, even as you hear this story and as you are with me on this, some of us will, will feel a crisis in a different area of your life today as well as we look at this. And we're just gonna allow the Holy Spirit to move in that way as well. Okay, but today is about creating a crisis. Next week, we're gonna take a deep look at the process. And this is going to be brutal for some of us here today. Now, now don't be like freaked out. I'm not going to be having people stand up and raise hands and different things as we get into some of this. So you can just feel at at ease with that. But this is going to be brutal for some of us because very simply, you have been stuck in sexual sin for a long time. And for some of us, nobody knows. And it's terrifying the thought of being found out. And it's the reality of many situations. You're stuck, you know it. And the next two weeks could be some of the most difficult church services you ever attend, but I'm telling you, it could also be the very thing that you look back on in your life, like a decade from now, and you think, I am so glad that I am free from that. I'm so glad. Now, I want to tell you a story uh, from Judges chapter 13 through 16 of a man named Samson. Why Samson? Well, As I was looking into this this week, in my personal Bible that I read and that I study from, uh, there are these full pages every once in a while that give like a character, uh, like a character study. Let me show you the one from this. You're not going to be able to read this. Go to that first one. Okay, so this is in my Bible. You can't read this, but I'm going to show you a couple things that it says in a moment. But this is a whole thing. It It tells like about Samson in in the Bible, it lists off his personal strengths and his weaknesses. Well, I read through this and this thing just kind of like hit me like a ton of bricks, if uh, if I can say that. And I highlighted two very specific things. Let me zoom in on those. Go to the next one here for me. Okay, here we go. All right, the character study on Samson begins like this. It is sad to be remembered for for what one might have been. It is sad to be remembered for what one might have been. And if you could summarize Samson's life in the Bible, there it is, a horrible thing to say, a horrible thing to be remembered by for eternity. This is what we have with the story of this great man named Samson. He is remembered for what he might have been. Well, good grief, what happened? Down further, it lists his weaknesses and his mistakes. There's four. He violated God's law on many occasions. He was controlled by sensuality. 
He, was, he confided in the wrong people and he used his gifts and abilities unwisely. And I'm convinced after looking through this and spending a whole bunch of time, like number two on that list is what led to the other three on that list. He was controlled by sensuality, which is the pursuit of sexual pleasure. It controlled his life, which led to Samson violating God's law on many occasions. His, the sensuality that controlled his life led him to confiding, confiding in the wrong people. And it led him to using his gifts and abilities unwisely. The bottom line is this, and this is what we're starting with. Samson never became who God wanted him to become because he was controlled by his pursuit of sexual pleasure. He never became who God had intended it, who God created him to be because of this issue. Now physically, understand, if you don't know the, the story of Samson, physically, Samson was a Hercules, like seriously. But, it, but like instead, because of the lack of control on this one specifically area in his life, the area of sex, his entire life ended in shame and ruin. And here's what we're gonna do today. I'm, I'm gonna tell you this story uh, but we're going to kind of tell this story in the form of four very specific points. Uh, and these points, points are all under the heading, what is lost in sexual sin? What is lost, okay? And so number one, write this down if you're taking notes, and I would highly recommend you take notes, okay? Uh, number one, a loss of mission. A loss of mission. Judges chapter 13 tells the beginning of Samson's story. You can look it up. We'll read parts of it here, but I'm not going to go through all of it. It's, too, it's just too long, okay? The beginning of Samson's story uh, is an angel that comes to his mom before he's ever born. Uh, see, Samson's mom was unable to have children, and the angel says to her, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to deliver Israel from the hands of their enemy. At that time, a nation called the Philistines were in control of Israel. We saw the Philistines a couple weeks ago with David and Goliath when we looked at that. They were a neighboring nation. They were bigger, a bigger military presence, more numbers. They had better weapons. They, had, they were in control of Israel during this time. An angel shows up and says to this woman, your baby, you haven't been able to have a baby, but your baby's gonna be born, born and free Israel from that. And when we read the beginning of the story of Samson, what we're supposed to immediately think of is some of the things, the stories before, where we have similar things. The story of Abraham and Sarah. They can't have a baby. Then an angel shows up and says to Sarah, actually in a dream, you're gonna have a baby. She's like 90 years old. She says, that's nuts. And, and Isaac is then born and it's this beautiful thing and Isaac goes on to be this incredible, okay, incredible thing. We're also supposed to, us today, see some similarities in the story of Jesus, right? I mean, we, angel comes to Mary, you're going to have a baby, and this baby boy is going to be the savior of the world. This story of Samson starts out in a very, very similar, similar way, okay? Miracle babies that are born to do something specific, specific call or purpose on their lives. Well, this woman has a baby. She's not supposed to have a baby, but like she has this baby, uh, names him Samson, and he is set apart and he is called a Nazarite. And what that means is someone who is set apart for God, uh, someone who is spiritually chosen and special. This is who Samson is supposed to be. That's his God given. 
purpose uh, set apart and his mission in life from the angel here is to set Israel free from the Philistines. That's who he's supposed to be, okay? But the very first thing that we read about in Samson's actual life is not his love for God or his desire to follow and serve God. The first thing we read about Samson is about a, it's about a girl. Yeah, uh, this is chapter 14. Let's read the beginning of this. Samson, this is the first time that Samson shows up uh, outside of being born in that way. Okay, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Check this out. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. A couple things here. Let me explain this to you. The Philistines were the enemies of God. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel. These are the very people that Samson is supposed to overthrow. Do you understand? And now Samson here in our story is hanging out in the city of the enemy. He sees a girl there who is from the enemy and he says, Mom, Dad, bring me that girl. I want her to be my wife. He's never met her. He's never had a conversation with her. He's seen her with his eyes. I want her to be, go get her. This is not love, this is lust, and this is not how this is supposed to work. Would you agree? Nod your head with me, please. Okay. His parents say to him, isn't there an acceptable woman like among our own people? Uh, this is not racism here. This is like Samson is supposed to free Israel from the Philistines. This makes no sense for he to be married to one of them. Samson says, nope, I want her. Go get her for me. Okay, the picture. Samson is already in his life, at the very beginning here, moving further and further away from his God-given mission, and we see this all throughout his, his story. He's supposed to be following God, hearing from God, leading. Uh, instead, a woman from the camp of the enemies catches his eye, and all that begins to go out the window. It starts with a loss of mission. Number two, number two, a loss of integrity. A loss of integrity. His parents finally give in to this request. They all go out to meet this woman. But on, their, on this journey out there, this is nuts, a lion jumps out. And for the first time, we see Samson's supernatural strength as with his bare hands, he takes on this lion and the Bible says he rips it apart. I don't know what that looks like, okay? But we've got a Hercules dude who is fighting a lion on the road and defeating a lion with his bare hands hands. Uh, and Now let me show you what happens next. This is verse number eight, still in chapter 14. After some days, he returned to take her. He, he's going to get this girl and bring her back as his wife. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. He's walking past the lion that he killed like a little while ago. Uh, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion. And honey, that's nasty. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. We read this and we think, well, that's nasty. And we read, Samson gives it to his parents, but he doesn't tell them where he got it. Well, that makes sense. He took it from a gross, you know, the body of a dead thing. That, you know, that makes sense that he wouldn't, but that's not what this is. 
Why doesn't Samson tell his parents? Let me explain here quickly. Samson is a Nazarite. We talked about that set apart for God like from the very beginning. And this is a powerful, specific vow that he has taken and that is on his life. Uh, it was a part of his calling. He was set apart for God's purpose. And that vow came with three very specific things. Samson was not to drink alcohol of any kind in his life. Uh, Samson was not to cut his hair ever. Okay, we'll see that come up later. And third, Samson was not to touch any kind of dead carcass or grave site or anything like that, even if it's own, if its own family. Why doesn't Samson tell his parents where he got the honey? This is not because it's disgusting and ew, gross. Okay, this is Samson doing something that he's not supposed to do. And he knows his parents would not approve. We're already seeing Samson drifting away from the God-honoring, God-centered sacrifice, or sacred life here. We, and we see secrets, I'm not gonna tell them where I get the honey, covering up this like lack of integrity in his life. Listen to me, with sexual sin comes secrets, comes lies, comes an overall lack of integrity as we are now willing to say things and do things that we would never otherwise do. And it's a part of this entire thing. This was never about love, this was about lust. Well, the story continues and the girl goes behind Samson's back here. She's a Philistine, she doesn't love him, she could care less, okay? Everything blows up. Uh, Samson freaks out in rage, kills a bunch of people with his bare hand. This is what we have in our story. Eventually, this woman is burned alive with her father. Like, this, is, this escalates really quickly. And then we get all the way to chapter number 16. And this is where things really begin to fall apart for Samson. Let me read to you how it starts. It starts amazing. Verse number one. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her call of God on his life, covenant amazingness with God, mission to do what God has called him to do, and now all of a sudden we've gone from, I want that girl of the enemy, to I'm just going to go visit a prostitute. A God-given mission completely out the window, integrity like good grief. Let's go to Philistine country and spend a night with the prostitute. So we have right here. And this is a man that is controlled by his sexual appetite. And this is going to really lead to number three, and it's very simply a loss of common sense. A loss of common sense. After he spends the night with this prostitute, let me show you what comes next. This is verse number four. It says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. This is still Philistine country here, by the way. But, but you read this, and you read the wording of that, and you think, oh good, maybe Samson is ready now to settle down. He found love, uh, even though it's with the enemy. Let's see how this story plays out here. Verse number five. The rulers of the Philistines went to her. She's a Philistine. Samson is in love with her. The rulers of the Philistines go to her and say, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. 
Now the phrase translated here as see if you can lure him, see if you can lure him, it's defined in this way because this wasn't written in English and so we have a translation. To deceive him, to entice him, or this, look at this one, to seduce him. Word that shows up right here in like kind of in the original. Delilah, we will pay you to seduce him and find out the source of his great strength so we can defeat him. Samson, physically a giant in this, okay? We have him, we have him killing a few hundred men at a time with his bare hands. A different time he uses a bone of a donkey and like kills people all over. This is a physical giant, but when it comes to this area, he is completely out of control completely out of control. Delilah, we will pay for this. You seduce him and find out his great strength and the secret of that because they realize there's something supernatural going on here in this man. He cannot be this strong. Delilah then begins to go to work. She begins to attempt to get Samson to tell her the secret of his strength. And if you don't know the story, okay, Samson has this supernatural God-given strength that's tied to his purpose, his mission. And the secret is in his hair. Uh, his hair has never been cut. It's a part of his vow. It's a part of this story, okay? His immense physical strength has to do with his hair not being cut, okay? Well, they're alone, Delilah and Samson. Samson's in the mood because you just get the picture that he's always in the mood, seriously. And verse number six, Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Think about this. Yes, this is, what, what kind of question is this from someone that you love? Can you, Samson, will you please tell me, what's the secret of your great strength so that you can be tied up and be subdued? Samson answers her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Translation, she won't give him what he wants until he tells her, so he lies. A few minutes later, Samson is asleep. Of course he's asleep. She ties him up with seven bowstrings, just like Samson has said, and she tells the Philistines to come. Verse nine, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Let's just keep on reading and let's just read a chunk and we'll get the gist of this story. But this is crazy how every bit of common sense goes out the window here for Samson because of this area of sexual sin. Verse number 10, then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. Good night, Samson. Like, he said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes, tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, at, at some point here, don't you think you would just like, think this is not the girl for me? I, I, tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, he seems to always be sleeping, 
Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. And again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric, and then she, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. Dedicated to God from my mother's womb, he says. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Okay, Sam, Samson loses all common sense. And would you agree? Like his sexual appetite is so out of control, he loses every bit of common sense here. The girl is tricking you. You've got to be able to see this. This happens four times. The Philistines are waiting to kill you. Like the girl is not on your side. Over and over again, she seduces him. He lies. The enemy tries to kill him. Starts over. How in the world can Samson not see what's going on here? Is a complete loss of common sense. He's blinded by his sexual desires. And he's making choices that make no sense. Finally, Samson tells her the truth. We just read that. He, and, and, and Samson falls asleep on her lap, the story says. She cuts his hair. And when Samson's hair is cut, the God-given physical strength disappears, which leads us to the final thing. This is number four, a loss of the favor of God. The saddest verse in the Old Testament, like as I read this, Delilah cuts his hair, the Philistines are waiting, just like the previous three times, verse 20, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times, and shake myself free. Check this out. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. The result of his sexual sin here for the story of Samson, he loses everything, including the favor of God on his life. Samson is captured. You can read on. They gouge out his eyes, is what the story says. They put him on display in the great Philistine temple to their gods uh, to present to their, all their people that they had defeated their great enemy and were left with the story of a man who was remembered for what he might have been. A man set apart by God from birth to bring freedom to his people turns out to be a man led by his sexual desire, loses everything in the end, loses his life. In fact, he's tied to these massive beams in the temple and his strength comes back to him for a moment. He pushes the entire building down, kills hundreds of his enemy and himself in the process. That's the end of the story. Music team, will you please come? All right, now here we go. Let's get horribly uncomfortable and pointed here for a moment. Like, I could spend all day showing you Bible passages on sexual sin and how destructive it is. We, we could go one after another and look at this. It is everywhere. Flee from sexual sin. It's over and over and over again. I could also spend all day showing you statistics in America right now. 
in our, in our world. Pornography, adultery, stuff like that. The average child sees pornography the first time by age 12. And somewhere around, listen to this, and this is the only thing I'm going to say with this. Somewhere around 50% of Christians in a secret study admitted to searching out pornography at least once a month. 50% of Christians in our country. We could spend all day talking about how real this is in our culture, but I think you know that. We could spend all day talking about how destructive this is, but I think you know that deep down as, as for some of us in this place, you live and you have lived for a long time with this secret inside of you, lying and covering it up and, and making decisions so that nobody will find out. And I'm telling you, it'll, it'll destroy you, destroys your soul destroys this mission that God has given us as, as Christians because we cannot, we cannot focus on what God wants us to do when we're focused on all the junk that's on our inside. We, complete, we lose our integrity as our life now, be, instead of becoming about serving Jesus, it becomes about keeping our secrets safe. It is destructive. It is killing things. Come on, it, it is... It is a horrendous thing that we see in our culture, and I'm, and I'm sick of it. I'm tired of having families come to me and talk about this stuff and how it's destroyed their marriage. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of dealing with teenagers who are so, who are given free reign of their cell phones and YouTube and no, no anything Go out there, I trust you to make the good decisions as a 13-year-old with raging hormones. And we put in their hands things that, that many of us, we didn't have anything like this growing up. If you, if you wanted to get pornography when I was growing up, you had to go sneak your way into some shady magazine store. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you understand that now your, your 12 and 13-year-old has unlimited access to pornography in the palm of their hand anytime they want it? And we somehow in America think this is a great idea. It is destroying our culture. It's destroying us from the inside. The, the statistics on adultery would blow your mind. The amount of people, it, it is something, it is crazy. Some, some study was done and, and it's something like 70% of married people would say they would commit adultery if they knew they could get away with it. Something ridiculous like that. Things where you're going, how can this be real? God doesn't want you to carry this around with you, like stuck in this junk. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. There is freedom from this. Please stand with me all over this place. I have struggled and wrestled with how to end this all week long, and I still don't know how to end this service here today. Next week, Next week, we're going to take the entire Sunday and we're going to talk about the process of what it looks like to change. The process. Today, for some of us in this place, this needs to be a crisis. This needs to be a crisis. A moment where you say, enough is enough. And I'm not going to let, 
I'm not going to let this continue to destroy me from the inside. I'm not going to live secret in all of this anymore. Something has to be different. Something has to change. And what I want to do today, very simply, is I just want to pray because that's just what I know how to do here in this. And I want you sincerely, sincerely, to examine on the insides. Do you know the thing with sexual sin that I found as well? We tend to put ourselves just like one step on the safe side of that. Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this and I haven't done this and whatever. The reality is you may not, you may not be looking at pornography every day you may not be full-fledged committing adultery, but there is a very unhealthy spot in the middle as well where your mind simply is not in control. And in our culture, that's a very real thing. But let's just take, let's just take a few moments here to just kind of pray together a heavy day, an uncomfortable sermon. Some of us feel sick to our stomach. I feel that today too. God, we, we just come right now with our junk and with our issues and we just, we just pray for a crisis to take place in some of our hearts and in some of our lives, God. There are some of us in this place, God, where we are on the brink of doing like irreversible damage to our family and our, and our spouse. And, and we are flirting in this and we are messing in this and we are getting way too close and we know it. And God, I just pray, I pray that this moment even right now would, would that you would just like fill us with this sense of there is freedom and there is a better way, and there is a mission and a purpose, and this life-giving relationship with a God who loves me. And I'm not gonna let this keep me stuck anymore. So God, I just pray even in this moment right now that you would fill, that you'd fill us with that. In this area, in other areas, whatever, God, whatever it is, God, we pray we pray that something so significant would even happen in, God, that we would seek you, that we would begin to seek you like never before, God, and that we would begin to replace some of the junk that's on the inside with some of the goodness of who you are, God. We pray for that. Some of us in this room, Lord, are so filled with guilt and shame from this very thing, God, that we are unable to go anywhere and do anything. And so, Lord, I just, I pray for freedom from that. But let today be a crisis, God. And I pray that as we put together a process and as we go through, the, God, that, that the freedom in this area would be an incredible testimony of your goodness. We love you and we need you in your name. We pray one final thing. We always uh, end our services by giving people an opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus even for the first time. So maybe you're here today and, and, and you know you're not right with God. The Bible, the Bible tells us we're all sinners 
We're all separated from this perfect God who created us. It's why he sent Jesus to die for you so that you could be free and you could be forgiven. And But the scripture says you must put your trust in him. You must believe in what he did for you and then you will be saved is what the Bible says. There's this repenting, this turning from our junk and turning towards this Jesus who has done everything for us. And if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Kyle, I know I'm not right with God and, and, and I want... I want to put my trust and my faith in Jesus today with no one looking around. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? Will you just show me your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else online, you can respond to this as well. You can click a little button that says respond. It's in a description or something. You can find that. We want you to respond. This could be an important moment for you. Anyone else in this place that would say, yes, that's me. Church, let's just pray together. Everybody pray this with me. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and celebrate that moment for just a minute. And God, I just pray that as we walk out these doors today, God, that we would be more aware of you, your presence, your mission than ever before. God, help us to show people your love, to tell people your story. We thank you, God, for all that you have done. We love you and we need you. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.